now this is my first time so i'll need some guidance over here <laughs> <laughs> okay well it's only like my uh fifth podcast and i'm the host so i think um you're in good company okay so welcome to another episode of leadership rx where we bring you inspiring stories and insights from diverse leaders all around the world. I'm your host, Ashley Allen, and today we have a very special guest joining us all the way from India. Uh, She's a seasoned product manager, scrum master, and an exceptional leader in her field. Swathi, it's a pleasure to have you on my podcast. Um, So Swathi is one of my classmates at Cornell in the executive MBA program, and I just want to also point out this is the first international podcast that I have done. So it was quite uh, hilarious coordinating this with you at one point across three time zones. (laughs) So tell me a little bit about your trip to India. So we finished classes a little over a month ago and we're on break until mid-July So uh, when did you head to India? What part of India are you in? Are you visiting family? Tell me everything. (laughs) Oh yeah, for sure. So um, I was way too excited and I wanted to make it in the break that we have right now in the month of May and June. And um, I've never realized, or actually I booked the tickets, I never realized May is something called summer in India. (laughs) The excitement was way too much. And uh, after I landed, it was almost like 106, 107, uh, oh. and which was, and it was feels like 116 to be trying to translate it over into Fahrenheit and um, enjoyed two heat strokes. But then overall, it was a fun journey. I mean, I think it's been amazing to see my family after seven years. So it's wow. it's super yeah I I'm enjoying my time in spite of the heat. Yeah. Spite the heat. <laughs> <laughs> so where where is your family located? So we are located in um southern India. It's a city called Hyderabad. It's actually in the state of Telangana. Okay. Yep. Wow. And all of your family is there? Your parents, any siblings? Yep, I do have a younger sister, and she's actually doing her PhD. And she, my, uh, she's actually uh, doing a research in cell biology. So she kind of details me on all healthcare aspects, and she does talk about how the research they do helps with the whole mRNA technology yeah. um, that kind of helped with uh, COVID. So yeah, for the yeah. vaccines, yeah, definitely. Yep. So um, before we talk about your professional journey, I, a recent exercise that I did was I, was I was challenged to talk about myself, tell my personal life story for six minutes straight, which I'm not going to ask you to do that part. Don't worry. <laughs> um, to tell my life story without mentioning anything about my professional career. So from birth to now, do you mind just telling me who is Swathi? Okay, so I was born in uh, a city called Vijayawada. It's in, it's in the state of Andhra Pradesh, which is south, southern India. And 
I did move a lot around along with my parents. So I grew up in the capital capital of India. It's the city of New Delhi. Um, prior to that, I was told I did stay in a city called Jhansi, which is also close to the capital. And then my childhood, basically 10 years were spent in New Delhi um, till my middle school. And then and half of my middle school and high school was in the southern you know, state of India, which I am right now here mm-hmm. uh, as we speak. So I finished my bachelor's here. Um, and then, yeah, that's pretty much, I don't know how long has it been. <laughs> it's tough to, I realize it's tough to chat. <laughs> it's so hard to talk about your life aside from the career, right? Because we're so career driven. So what what was it like growing up in India? Um, what did your parents do? Did both of your parents work? Uh, so my father, uh, my mom is a homemaker. And then my uh, dad, he used to work. He's actually an, uh, he's an engineer too. And uh, he's mostly on the electrical engineering and manufacturing side. Um, I think I'm, I'm really proud. I think part of my background uh, as an engineer, I think I was inspired by him. And the determination, I believe, is my mom. The way, like, she's very hardworking. So I think both have, uh, did in, they have contributed enough to get me to where I am today. Um, and as far as growing up, there are, like, there's a lot of childhood memories. I would actually... Love to share this. So after I'm yeah. here um, and I got married, my husband has never seen uh, New Delhi. So we actually landed in New Delhi and he actually surprised me where he said, you know what, uh, we'll talk to the driver and we'll just, you know, go to the uh, place where you grew up. Um, basically, from my age one to ten, I showed him every single spot. I talked to him like the street, the spot where I played, where I parked oh my bike. Oh my gosh, I, I have chills! Showed... <laughs> <laughs> I I showed him my school, and then I told him like the school was right opposite to where we stayed, to my uh, apartment. So I just showed. Him. Right after my high school, typically in India, you you get the choice. Just like in the U.S., the education system is a little bit different. Um, it, during your high school, which is like the 11th and 12th grade, is where you get to choose whether you're going towards your um, engineering or you're picking um, medicine or a different stream. So you make the decision pretty much in your 10th grade. So you're you're done. So. Um, that's where I decided I want to be an engineer. And then um, there we go. I'm, I finished my 11th and 12th grades in the city of Hyderabad. And then um, I ended up in an engineering um, college uh, or you could say university. And then I completed four years of my bachelor's. Um, it's, um, it's a college uh, basically called, um, it's affiliated to university. Jawaharlal Nehru University of Technology and Science. It's to, in short, it's called JNTU, um, which kind of resonates with many people. So um, that's where I did my bachelor's in uh, computer science and information technology. And right after I was, um, I did get the opportunity to uh, work with a company called Infotech. And then um, while I was in job search, it's basically 
that's when actually I met my husband. Um, in India, you typically, you might have heard this called um, arranged marriage concept in yes. India. Ours, ours is kind of both. We happened to meet somewhere and then um, things just fell in place with both the families. Um, and we are, we have been married for a while now. Um, that's how things started for us. So I wouldn't say, I think I've been lucky that it's been both ways instead of yeah. just arranged. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And so was that company in India, the the first company? Uh, yeah. Yes. Okay. The first company was in India. I worked for a couple of years in India and my husband was working for a different company. We just happened to meet in, a, you know, some common party. Um, okay. And then it just came up such that the, you know, parents like kind of knew or my grandparents knew their grandparents. It's interesting oh. dynamics. So... Um, but yeah, every he has, I think he's way on the romantic end than I am. So he has a much, he's a good storyteller than I am. So I put it in plain words. He, he had, he adds a lot of stuff in it. But oh, I love yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So, so from there, because I know this executive MBA at Cornell is your second master's degree. So where mm-hmm. did you go for the first master's degree? Yeah, so right after we got married, um, my husband actually he got an opportunity to um, work at Daimler Chrysler in Singapore. Mm-hmm. So we relocated to Singapore. We had to stay there for a few months after we got married. And then we came back to India and, and we flew um, to the U.S. And that's where I kind of pursued my master's um, in computer science. That was my first master's at University of Missouri, St. Louis. So I came to U.S. in 2008. Um, I couldn't uh, actually work um, because of, you know, visa issues. But then I started pursuing my master's. And um, that's when I was able to work right after master's. I had my internship at Monsanto. And then things kicked off from there. Okay. Okay. What an incredible journey. Thanks for sharing that journey. Um, It's really awesome to hear about your experiences. So now let's shift to talking about your professional career. Um, You have an impressive background in computer science, product management, leadership. How did you navigate your way into this field? I know you mentioned that your father was a source of inspiration for you. Um, but really more broadly, what drew you in terms of your passion to pursue a career in technology, um, especially as a woman? I'm curious, as a young girl, um, if you knew what you would be up against, I guess, going into that field, or if you were maybe a little naive to it because you saw your dad doing it. Um, So yeah, curious to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think this story goes way back when I was in my high school. Um, right after your 12th grade, typically you're given a choice in the Indian system. I mean, things may have changed right now. It's been many, many years. Mm-hmm. But you're given a choice which stream of uh, engineering you want to pick. Would you want to pick uh, computer science, information technology, or electrical, or communications, whichever. I was, my dad tells me to this day, he tried his best 
to have me move into electrical because he's very passionate. It was he just tried to see probably was testing my determination there. I was so adamant. I'd never knew I was behaving in that way until he actually told me. I was so determined I have to get into computer science. I don't care what happens. I actually got opportunities in other uh colleges to uh you know going to electrical and other you know something other than computer science. But I just said I don't care. I'm okay to travel or stay in a different city, but I am going to take it. I think part of the inspiration actually happened or motivation happened during my 11th and 12th grade where um I was fascinated by computers and it was typically um I graduated the uh, my 10th grade in to in the year 2000 which is when computers were in the boom. So yeah. I've seen that time and it's like there's no computers is the future so you keep thinking you're my whole mindset was like yes that is the future so i i knew where i wanted to be right after my 10th grade so in spite of my father trying his best just to, it was a test he really never forced me to it and he was he still rem- remembers that scene so well i just said no i am getting into this so i think it was that era in which i grew up um getting inspired and seeing i literally saw floppy disks uh CD-ROMs DVDs so you can see how influenced I am with that so I belong to that millennium yeah. kind of right generation which is also one of the major uh influencers um uh, you know time was the main influencer for me yeah yeah it seems serendipitous uh you were in the right place at the right time um and yeah. you knew you knew what you wanted to pursue um Did you start to notice um I'm just curious if it was a similar experience in India as it would be for someone a, a woman going into STEM um in the United States. Did you did you feel like there were more men or boys than girls um going in that track and and at what age did you kind of start to notice that? Um well it may not be a very uh so first i actually did my engineering in a uh in a college which is basically all girls so oh. there is yes there were in the whole uh state of andhra pradesh at that time they were barely two or three colleges that are all girls only so i am looking around like 1000 plus women who are going to be engineers in four years when i join i love that and, everybody is an engineer getting out of that the you know the premises so it's it's a different vibe uh usually you have boys and girls in the same college but this was very 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 different you knew yeah. everyone is an engineer yep wow oh my gosh i love that i love that so much why don't we have that here <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we do um although I will just say I'm I'm generalizing. I know someone will probably come at me for saying this, but I do feel like historically the all women colleges in the United States tend to focus on the more traditional like liberal arts um not on STEM. So that is a really interesting idea 
Do you know the history of why they decided to do that and set it up that way? Um, so basically, this is set up by, uh, it's a very interesting uh, story of the founder. So um, his name is Polarity. I can get, share more details, you know, a website okay. and stuff. So he he is actually a person um, who has a business. He started like really from the bottom. He rose high. He's, he had these, they're called like Indian sweets. <clears throat> so he started growing by selling sweets or in, you know, uh, deserts and then uh, basically anything food related. So he and his wife, they're actually not educated. They gave value to education. Um, from what I heard, I think they're, um, they had three kids and they had a very turbulent life in spite of the growth they made. So they made it a point to import and establish educational institutions. So they had one, uh, a similar uh, college for boys only and a similar one for girls only. And I come to hear now that it's one of the top uh, colleges in Hyderabad right now where every girl wants to actually go. That's what I heard, which I'm proud of. Like I may have been one of the very uh, initial um, cohorts to graduate, but um, it's, it's really inspiring the way they set up, you know, where you've never taught you're less than wise, you know. Um, you never taught you're speaking something wrong or feeling shy. You know, everyone is a girl around you, right? There's some people who feel shy to talk in front of boys. or It's also kind of cultural, especially in Asian culture. Things are a little bit different, and I can actually share more uh, when I speak of differences, when I got into the masters in the United States. So I think I never felt that barrier to kind of speak uh, in front of the professor or express how I feel or learn um, just because I was part of this. Like, I cannot imagine how I would have been. Maybe I would have been a bit shy or timid, but I think that part was never there when I was actually finishing my bachelor's, partly probably because I was part of this institution. So in a way, yeah. it's definitely a blessing. Yeah, it is. I, I identify with that so much. Um, I, I can feel exactly that experience. I think the hard part of it is at some point, um, to your point, then we have to reemerge from that and go back out into the real world where we do have to confront some of these barriers. And and even if we've been built up in rooms of women, those insecurities or those cultural conditioning, I'll say, I, I shouldn't use the word insecurities. There's a lifetime of conditioning that we go through to this point to be a certain way and to act a certain way and to be perceived a certain way. and it's very difficult to shut those out um, and to change your behavior. So now here we are in a predominantly male executive MBA program. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I'm assuming, I'd love to hear you just build on what you were saying uh, to our experience. Now I'll share a little bit myself. I definitely struggled uh, with speaking up in the beginning of this program. I think even though I didn't go to a, I w it wasn't an all girls college, I've always been in nursing, which is predominantly women. 
And so there were usually, if there was a guy, there were one or two guys. And so um, I I was not expecting to feel the way that I felt uh, in our classrooms, and I wasn't prepared for that. And honestly, a lot of times in the very beginning, I felt the things that we were talking about in terms of one of our first courses, managing and leading in organizations, was more about empathy and communication and leadership styles and things that I think I I already have a really good grasp on. And I'm I've never been the kind of person to just raise my hand and just like to just think that others could listen or learn from what I have to say. I'm more inclined to listen to what others are are saying. And I started to feel that, oh, okay, maybe because we're getting participation in this class, <laughs> people are, <laughs> not that, not that I was ever like, oh, that was, I've never thought that we're, we're surrounded by brilliant people, but there were some times where I realized, oh, maybe they're just trying to get their participation points <laughs> because that wasn't necessarily a groundbreaking <laughs> comment. And I shared with a couple of people that I actually went from having a 96 in that class to getting the lowest letter grade that I've gotten in in my entire uh, Cornell experience thus far in that course. And when I reached out to the professor, it was ultimately due to my perceived lack of participation, despite uh, being at every class and participating in the small groups. And it was a huge wake-up call for me, and really, a, it was a punch in the gut, um, because how silly that I did all the hard work, and I showed up, and I still didn't, I didn't perform, because I simply wouldn't raise my hand and open my mouth. And there's a lot of shame associated with that, at least for me. And so I can just, I can completely identify with everything you said, and, and, and I'll pause there to see if, if you have anything else you want to add. No, I, I think that resonates so much with me. And I do remember we had a brief conversation about it, um, about the similar topic. So yeah, I mean, you're spot on on that. I, I wouldn't <laughs> think, I have no way to say no. I'm like, I'll second you on that right yeah. now. I already feel like I've learned so much. Um, so are you able to share um, just a little bit about your current role and uh, company that you work for? If you don't, if you can't name the company, that's fine. But um, I just think that the space that you're working in uh, is very interesting and, and would love to hear anything you can share about that. Sure. Um, so right now I am working uh, with um, an animal healthcare company, and it's it's one of the uh, it's actually the biggest, if I have to say. Um, it's called Zoadis, and they are um, they were initially into pharma, and then they started acquiring um, the diagnostic side, similar to human. They're also point of care devices that are used to run tests at the veterinary clinics itself. Um, they do have similar to, you know, as humans, animals also are loved, they're cared. Um, I think this company is a representation of that to, you know, um, respect and take care of um, 
animals as other beings as well. So right now I work in their diagnostics um, portfolio as a product manager. And uh, I oversee a, a product called Imagist. And I'm mostly focused on digital cytology where, you know, we I work very closely with pathologists and the um, we have an amazing team here um, of veterinarians who work for Zootis. And I've worked day in, day out with pretty much legal, with um, marketing, with finance, with, you know, veterinarians. And I mean, you get to learn, like, you know, I was very different. I had no idea about healthcare when I joined. I was a sole e-commerce person when I joined this company. I had no idea what they were talking about. Um, today, I can, I'm proud to say, I can identify how yeast looks like in a dog's uh, uh, blood work. Uh, I feel very proud about that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's been an uh, um, you know amazing experience so far. Yeah, it's it's a whole world that I I didn't even know existed. I I knew yeah. that of course veterinary care existed, but to the level that you guys are providing it, it's just uh, kind of mind blowing and very intriguing. And it would be interesting to see. I feel like what you're doing could easily uh, translate back into human health care <laughs> if you're yeah. ever looking for a career shift. Okay. Um, do you mind sharing with me, and we can edit this out if you're not comfortable, just curious if you experienced uh, racism when you came to the United States and I'm curious about your perception, one, as uh, not being born in America, I'm curious your perception of the racism that you saw here and what it's been like to be here for the past 20-ish years and um, then also your own personal experience and if you have a story of, of something that really resonated with you personally that you experienced that you would feel comfortable sharing with me. Um, I would say, I think I've been lucky enough to to kind of not, you know, experience anything like that. I've been very lucky, I'll be honest. Um, but I would say it's not about others. I would say it's more me. When I change different roles as part of my career, um, it's different when you're the only woman on the team. Um, and then it's different when you're the only Asian in a meeting of, let's say, 200 people. Um, and I, I, it so happened someone actually pinged me and asked, are you from India? out of 200 people because they were probably the only Asians. We probably were the only two. I mean, you wouldn't scroll through an online meeting yeah. and look up. So <laughs> that, I don't know how this specific person happened to go through. And it, it just surprised me. I didn't realize until then that I was the only one. It just made me feel a bit different. But at the same time, I think I felt kind of welcomed, you know, um, where you're being treated as equal, like you're part of the group. Um, it, it was really funny when out of the blue, someone would just ping you and say, hi, I'm from India. I just noticed we're the only two Asians here. So I was like, oh, okay. 
So right. <laughs> that's when I looked up all the 200 <laughs> names and realized, okay, good, we are the only two Asians here. So. <laughs> but <laughs> and, I mean, you 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 don't you kind of it's very rare to have such. Uh, you know, you wouldn't even think of that, to be honest. Mm -hmm. So, but I think that acceptance is what I'm trying to say. Sometimes um, you're accepted, but you exclude yourself thinking you're different or mm. you're one. Um, that is something, it, it might take a lot of people some time, like when you're the only one in the room uh, and you know, there's nobody else uh, from where you want them to be. So. I, I think I've, I've been lucky in many aspects and in a very inclusive environment, I think all my career and even while I was not working in the US, I've, mm -hmm. I've been lucky. I've got yeah. good inclusion. Yeah, absolutely. And, and what has it been like to sort of witness some of the things going on in this country over the past decade um, from your perspective in terms of... Um, racism not in terms of asian um not not your personal perspective but i feel like especially for myself i grew up in the south and i live in new england now and it is almost unbearable sometimes when i go home to virginia um and so I, and that's only a seven hour drive. <laughs> so I can't imagine <laughs> witnessing that, um, having grown up on the other side of the world. Um, or is it something that you were just always aware of that this is, this is something that America struggles with. And so it wasn't really as big of a shocker to be in it. Um, you know, I'll, I'll make this very generic. It's not about US only. I think I have um, seen similar things in almost, you know, and heard over the news. Personally, I've not been there, but I have kind of seen it happen in different countries in different ways. So it, it was like you said, it's not a shocker for me. It happens mm -hmm. in different farms in different countries. So um, uh, I'm tr not shocked, but I just feel on a, on humanitarian grounds, if things were nice, I guess, um, you just want everyone to be the same, right? You don't want a different yeah. treatment. So Yeah, it's like, how can we just, all of these things that we're even talking about, I hope that the, the next generation and the next generation and the next generation, like the need for these conversations just begins to dwindle. Um, that's, that's my hope as well. So going back to your leadership role, how do you take everything that we've talked about in this call? Um, how do you foster collaboration and effective communication within your teams, um, in terms of people coming from diverse backgrounds and perspectives from all over the world? So I think it's uh, it's really interesting question, um, Ashley, because, yes, yeah, so my team is a global team, and the beauty of this role is I have zero authority. Being a product manager is very challenging, and I think that's why I like it. You have zero authority over any of these people that you're working with, like 
zero. Mm. And you have to get these super big projects done there, like year long or even two year projects. And imagine uh, sometimes I have to work with like 11 stakeholders if I actually start counting um, to get approvals or consensus. And I sometimes have to work on a one-on-one basis with a few colleagues. You know, there are different colleagues at different levels. And And from all over the um, world. (laughs) Yes, yes, very much. At different time zones. We just had, you know, an experience just for you and I to kind of talk. So it's pretty much like uh, having calls with someone in Australia and then um, someone who's in Brazil asking you questions. So I think um, I could never get a sweet spot for all the colleagues, but I, I try to kind of understand what they want. And um, most of the time, there's also, again, we talk about culture, right? The culture barrier, there's a different, every customer is different. You try to understand, it's, it's so challenging to understand what the other colleague is trying to mm-hmm. explain to you because every market, we address each country as a market. Um, so every market is different, like China is different, Australia is different. And what you think uh, is, and is good for US is not gonna be good for someone in Australia. Mm-hmm. So it it takes you have got to switch your uh, you have to switch your mind like just ask or tailor your questions to be able to kind of uh, chat with them and yeah. understand and sometimes it could be a bit draining um, and sometimes it's uh, fun so I've I've tried like multiple ways to be able to uh, coordinate and it's mostly trial and error to be honest. Like sometimes um, there've been misunderstandings too. I wouldn't say any collaboration (laughs) is smooth. Um, I've had arguments with people um, because that's the side, you know, leadership kind of gets to see and um, your senior leadership doesn't see it. Obviously, you you have to know what you have to carry up and what you should not. So to me, um, I think that has been one of the biggest challenges when I try to collaborate with uh, other colleagues across the globe. Yeah, you're essentially leading without influence. And I've been in that role, not as a product manager, but um, I've, I've led without any influence before. I think you used authority, but same thing. And honestly, listening to your answer, um, I think you should be teaching in our executive MBA program. <laughs> global global relations. So that should be Swathi's class. <laughs> um, so as we wrap up our conversation, I'm just wondering what advice would you give to other aspiring women who are looking to pursue leadership roles in the technology industry? Um, so this is something I, I'm not sure how this is going to tie up, but this is something I made a point to share, uh, especially people who are going to start out in their careers. Um, when I pursued my master's, especially when you're from, um, different, you know, you have a different culture or background, um, the two things, very key things that my master's, my first master's taught me was you should never fear to start um, from scratch, never. 
Um, the second thing, which is kind of tied to culture, I believe, uh, or it, it could be in general, it could also be the upbringing. I don't think I would say it's only culture. It could be the way you're brought up, how your upbringing is. It is okay to be wrong. It's okay. So these are my top two lessons that I learned in my master's after I completed. And this has got me very far to date. Like today, um, I've had challenges as I'm going through these different leadership roles. Um, when you're asked a question, you think you have to know the answer. I have that urge even to this day. So you could be wrong as a leader. You cannot be correct. It's only human. So when you're entering that role, just be prepared. You may have to start from scratch. It's fine. You could just, things could go south, you know, anything could happen. Just be prepared. You could have a plan B. If you're over prepared, you could have a plan C, which is fine. But I think it, it is cr crucial to remember it's okay to fail, you know. Um, so you don't take it that hard. You have the courage to um, get back. And I did not get that lesson before I started my master's. Only after that, I believe I never looked back, like, to this day. I think that was one of the things that encouraged me to actually pursue my second master's, uh, the executive MBA. So I've seen um, leaders who who kind of train you, but they want the best out of you when you're getting mentored. So they just say, yeah, you have to do this the way they make you rehearse. They're, they're seeing, they want you to succeed, but deep down you should also know there is another option and it's fine if it doesn't go as planned because I think that makes a lot of difference for people. Let me put it this way. Another example is when you make these mistakes early on in your career, it's good. It's good you make it early on. It's okay you fail when you're in the early stages of career. Um, I've seen people who have failed after 10 or 15 years of success they cannot take it so mm -hmm. if you fail early it's it's totally fine it's actually for your good so don't don't be uh, it's not as easy as i would say like yeah you might feel low but bear in mind don't take it too hard just just move on i think that would be my advice um there have been where i was days where i was depressed but that's fine like you know just move on uh, take it's okay you learn a lesson so mm -hmm. i think you're way better than people who have not learned that lesson they're yeah. going to learn it a little later so i think that is a piece a lot of people i've seen they miss because they've never seen a rejection in their you know a longer period of time so that i think that's my advice to anyone who is starting into leadership roles just be ready um, you cannot please everybody, you know, there'll be someone who's going to be unhappy with you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That That's inspiring to me. I needed to hear that myself. <laughs> so um, just one more question. Um, just curious, what are you looking to get out of this executive MBA? Kind of what your hopes were going into it, have they shifted at all now that we're at exactly the halfway mark? And, and where are you hoping now to, to end up? I, I share that because for myself, um, I think I went in with a 
different set of expectations than I have even now at this point. And I've been amazed at the metamorphosis, I'll call it, of myself and uh, and where I am at now. I'm, I'm much more in pursuit of positions and roles that I feel passionate about the mission and um, and really doing meaningful work that I know I can bring value to whatever that looks like. And I think I went into this program with very rigid expectations of I want to get an MBA. I want to learn about finance because I've never been exposed to any finance as a nurse and as a nurse practitioner. And I'm going to get the knowledge that I need to finally be able to move up and be a leader. And um, yes, I've learned the finance part, uh, but I have learned so much more about myself and how to balance my life as a as an executive. Um, I'm going to say that because that's what we are. Um, it, again, that, that feels weird to say. Um, and that has been very shocking and eye-opening to me. And, and I'm just wondering from your perspective, if, if others, if I'm not alone in, in my transformation that I'm experiencing. Yeah. So when I joined, I think I was, I was clear on a few things. For example, um, I, like I said, my background was in computer science. I had zero idea about you know, finance, <laughs> the numbers was something that's so foreign to me. I actually feel I'm getting what I want. Um, and we, we are in this executive program with others. Like you're, I feel blessed to be part of this cohort because you're learning more. And it's different when you're reading books, you know, what you get from reading a 300 pages book, like, you know, you have to read a minimum of 300 pages to get that one point, but I'm getting it just by sitting in a weekend in a class of, you know, some amazing leaders. It's, it's different when they share their experience. So I think that was something I did not see coming so fast, but I can see the way I'm, I'm thinking right now. Um, I'm able to see what I did not expect was there are some flaws or something I could, I wouldn't say the word flaws. I think as an executive, I feel where I could improve on, get much better, which is expected of an executive. Uh, so I think that that was something I'm trying to pivot. I, I really did not see that coming, that I know I have to improve on this aspect. Uh, and and I know that will be my focus. And I've been thinking throughout this one month, um, as I shared my experience with, with my parents and my husband, like there are people who, you know, who don't know what's going on, right? So it's basically your, I'm able to build what my second year is going to look like. Those are the qualities I want to bring. Uh, by the time I graduate, I should know it. This is my own, um, courses for myself like it's not something Cornell is going to give us but you identified what exactly you need so those will be my focal points um when I when we go ahead and meet up this July so yeah um but yeah there was going to be a pivot in the way I'm going to think 
the way I'm going to network. Um, it's it's going to be very different. Yeah. Do you mind sharing the top two or three things that you're focusing on for this year? Yeah. So uh, I don't know if I should say this. Uh, um, I'm basically an introvert by nature, so it kind of poses this barrier where I'm I'm good with one-on-one conversations, but once it's a group. I love to be part of the group, but then I get into that listening more because I'm trying to get more information, understand yeah. more. So it just feels or gives the impression that I'm I'm not talking or sometimes I get drained faster. So I'm trying to talk, but at the same time, I don't want to change my true nature. So everyone is blessed with their own, um, you know, uh, character their integrity we don't need to sacrifice all that to learn something so i think to me being able to talk more have small talks more conversations build the relationships this is my chance now so i'll try my best to do that network more that's one of the uh top things that i'm for top um points that i'm focusing right now on um, the second one I would say is um, also build that executive presence or more so the confidence. It's different when you're um, in a role as a team player or a team member. It's different. But then when you're trying to hide executive positions to go into higher leadership roles, even your tone, your the way you speak, you, you're probably using the right words, but your tone does make a difference. That was a lesson I learned in the first year. Um, so that's something I, I want to improve. Um, it's not the assertion, but the tone itself, the modulation. So it may seem like a very minor detail, but I learned in this one month how crucial that is. So I'm hoping to build on that as well. I think as leaders, we sometimes our tone, um, tone of the voice itself uh, makes a difference. It, it does. does. It absolutely does. And thank you for sharing that. I would, I don't want to cut it out as long as you're okay with that, because uh, you're not alone. I'm working on all those things too. I, I don't know that I would classify myself as an introvert I, I think, um, but I, I, everyone's on the spectrum, right? And I'm definitely an extrovert in group settings, but I think in the classroom that large, um, it's just, it's difficult and draining to your point and they're long days and we all have very, uh, demanding careers, um, and lives outside of that. And so building on what you're working on, which I am working on all those things too. And and I love what you pointed out about how they're not weaknesses, right? We did this 360 feedback and these are just areas that are opportunities for us to improve. And that's why we're in this program and that's why we're learning. And that's why we're having this conversation is because we want to learn and we want to be better and share that with other people. Um, I think the biggest thing that I'm going into the second year um, trying to work on is just having more balance in my life. I get so wrapped up in whatever is in front of me, whether it's this podcast or school or work, 
that I just like put my nose to the grindstone and I I don't let up. And that has served me very well in a lot of ways in life. It's made me a high achiever um, and it's helped me to accomplish a lot of things that I that I set out to accomplish very early in my life. Uh, but it's it's not really serving me so much anymore at this phase of my life and accepting that and trying to find ways to move move forward in a healthy way. Um, one of the things that I'm I'm trying to work on and set up now is setting up systems, daily systems. So it's like a checklist. Did I move my body today? Did I meditate today? Did I take time for myself today? It can be as simple as that. I'm still working on formulating exactly what it is, but um, you know, it's no news, right? This isn't rocket science. There are plenty of articles out there that CEOs and other highly functioning individuals with all the travel and all the demands that they have on their plates, they have daily rituals and daily routines that they stick to to keep them grounded regardless of, of where they are. And so... That's that's what I'm working on right now. And just to know that others are feeling, even though we're feeling different ways, it's similar broadly that we sort of took this time to reflect on last year and what we want to do moving forward um, in the second year to make the most of it. So thanks for sharing that with me. Well, it's, I think this is great, Ashley. Um... I think uh, that's part of what I like about your podcast. Um, you can keep this or take it out, but um, <laughs> no, uh, to be honest, like I've, I've heard them and the fact that you're focusing on healthcare and trying to get some really uh, unique uh, challenges that people face, it's different in every industry. Trust me, like, I wish I could just go on and talk about a few more uh, experiences. I, I know everybody has a very unique experience, um, but I think what you're doing right now is amazing. It's, uh, yeah. And you made me think of some things that I probably even forgot, like the first story I told you. Thanks so much for tuning in to this awesome episode. I really enjoyed re-listening to this and can't wait to share it with you guys. Until next time.